If any kids would like to go to Children's Church for age-appropriate instruction. Luke chapter 14. It's on page 1034 in the Pew Bible. And today we are studying verses 15 to 24, the parable of the great banquet. Well, I'm psyched. I made it through September without turning on the heat in my house. I guess I'm becoming a Yankee. I'm all psyched about that. So, (laughs) save some money. All right. Luke chapter 14, uh, verses 15 to 24. Let me just read this story. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, "Uh, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. And then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. My uh, wife was riding around in the van this past week and she was talking to my four-year-old daughter and uh, my four-year-old started asking questions about heaven. You know, what was heaven like? It was you know, one of those conversations that sort of comes out of the blue. And Well, first of all, my daughter uh, was kind of freaked out to learn that when you go to heaven, you don't come back. That freaked her out. So she was <laughs> she's like, what do you mean you don't come back? I'm like, well, you stay there. So well, that, of course, led her to wonder, like, what is it like up there? And I could tell based on her questions that she had this conception of heaven that it's, you know, like living up in the clouds, you know, literally, that's how she thought of it. Because she said to my wife, she said, she said, well, if you're in heaven and it rains, how do you sleep? You know, it's like... <laughs> and, you know, that's, you know, it's so cute to hear that from a four-year-old. But I think sometimes we as adults have similar conceptions of heaven. Maybe a little more sophisticated. I mean, we don't literally believe you are in a literal cloud. But, but we kind of believe you're sort of up there floating around. And, you know, what is heaven? It seems kind of boring. I mean, you go there and you have to wear a white dress, and you have a halo and maybe some wings, um, and you have the golden harp, and you kind of float around, and, you know, what? I mean, it, it's like, why, why would you want to go there? You know, my son asked, like, what are we going to do in heaven? That sounds kind of boring. And, um, you know, I think a lot of us feel that way. Like, well, what is it? You know, is it just sort of like you get a spiritual lobotomy, so you're just kind of up there, like, floating around, you know, in, in sort of a nebulous frame of mind? 
Um, but you know, when you look at the scriptures, there's a very uh, different metaphor for heaven. God wants to tell us what heaven's like, and it's not floating around aimlessly in the clouds, just you know, spaced out. Um, the Bible has a very different metaphor for heaven. The Bible's metaphor for heaven is more like this: party! Woo! <laughs> Well, look, you know, look. <laughs> That's the biblical metaphor. Verse 15. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. It's a feast. It's a party. It's great. <clears throat> now, of course, as this man asks the, says this uh, at this feast, this is one of the Pharisees. Remember, Jesus is at kind of a religious black tie affair where all the religious elites are here at this meal with him in a certain community. And uh, so this guy says, blessed is the man who will eat at the feast. And presumably this man thinks that he's one of the blessed ones. Because, you know, he's you know, raising his glass saying, blessed are those who will eat there. And I know I'm one of them because I'm a Pharisee. But that's the very question at hand. Who will be in the kingdom of God? Who will be in heaven? And that's what Jesus has been talking about. If you've been here the last couple Sundays, you know where the text we've been looking at. Jesus is challenging common perceptions about what it means to be in the kingdom of God. And really, that's the question we need to ask ourselves. Uh, are we certain that we will be in the kingdom of God? Are we certain that when we die... Well, ask yourself this. When I die, am I certain that I will be in heaven? Or if you were to stand before God tonight... And he were to say, uh, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? What's the basis of your hope for entering into eternal life? <clears throat> and really, that's the question in this text. Who is it that enters heaven? And how do you know if you're going to be there? And what does it take? And so really, this is the most important question there is that a person can ask. The first most important question is, is there a God? And if there is a God, which I think is a, a very rational thing to conclude from this world, then the next question is, okay, how do I know him? What does he want from me? How do I enter into a right relationship with this God? You know, how do I enter into eternal life and enjoy the blessings of heaven? And so Jesus tells this story, this parable about the great banquet. The, the, the parable is about heaven. Just like this guy throws this huge banquet, it's an analogy to God throwing the banquet of eternal life. He says in verse 16, Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet a great banquet, and invited many guests. So before we even get to the issue of who's invited, we should just stop there and reiterate, heaven is a banquet. The biblical imagery of heaven is that it's this party. It's this amazing, joyous feast. The party to end all parties. You know, what would it be like if God, who has all power and all creativity, threw a party? <laughs> I was trying to think of an analogy. I was like, all right, this is what I came up with. It's kind of lame, but it tries to get my mind in that direction. Imagine if Bill Gates liquidated all his assets, whatever he's worth, $100 billion or who knows, it goes up all the time. He liquidated everything and turned it into a big pile of money and sold all of his Microsoft shares and everything and took all of the money he owns and spent every last cent of it on a one-week-long party. You know, I mean, what kind of party would that be? He could be anywhere he wanted. He could be in the space station. You know, I mean, with a party like that, you could, with money like that, you could have a party anywhere. You could invite thousands of people. Imagine the food. 
you know, the party favors, it wouldn't be like mints, you know, it'd be like a yacht was your party favor. <laughs> I mean, a hundred billion is just so much money. I mean, it would be an insane party. And imagine God throwing a party so much greater, so much more amazing forever and ever. God's party never ends. There's no stopping point to it. There's no end to the richness of the food and the joy and, and the glory of it. That's God's party. That's what heaven is like. And this is not just something that some Pharisee is kind of pulling out of the air here. This is an Old Testament image, actually. When you go back to the Old Testament Scriptures and you look at the prophets in the Old Testament prophesying about what the kingdom of God would like and what heaven would be like, this was an image that they used, that it was a great banquet. In fact, let me just want to read one with you because it's so cool. Uh, put a bookmark here in Luke and turn back to our old friend Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 25. It's on page uh, 698 if you're using a pew Bible. 698 in the pew Bibles. Isaiah chapter 25, verse 6. Here's a little glimpse of that super party that is coming. Look at Isaiah chapter 5, verse 6. 25, verse 6. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast. God is going to cook. Woo! That's going to be good. A feast of rich food for all people. Not just Jews, but Jews and Gentiles. Anyone who will come to Christ. Here's these prophecies of the Gospel going to the whole world. A banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, and the finest of wines. Kobe beef, right? You know, thousand dollar bottles of wine. Even better. I mean, this is an incredible feast. Verse 7, on this mountain, on the party mountain, He will destroy the shroud that enfolds all people, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. No more dying. No more loss on this mountain. In fact, there's nothing to cry over. Verse 8, the Sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. You know, some of you have shed many tears in this life some of you have had very sad lives. Some of us have very blessed lives, but some of us have just gone through so many trials. Um, there's some of us who have shed tears um, over divorce, the pain of divorce. Some of us have shed many tears over um, abuse. Some of us have been abused, and even as adults, there's still a wound deep inside of us um, that just does not seem to heal. Some of us have lost children. And we cry over that. Whenever the anniversary of the death of the child comes around, there are still tears. This world is full of tears. But imagine being in God's presence and being so full of joy and so happy that you can't cry. That it's impossible to shed a tear. That whatever it is that grieves your heart and whatever has caused you to shed tears throughout your life, you can't even remember it because you are so surrounded in the joy of God. In fact, God Himself will wipe away the tears from all faces. God will come to each of us and just wipe those away. That's how great it's going to be. Not only that, verse 8, He will remove the disgrace of His people from all the earth. No more thinking back in our lives saying, why did I do that? Why did I hurt this person? 
Oh, if I could go back and change things, I would have done this. No more regrets. No more looking into your past and saying, woulda, coulda, shoulda. It's forgiven. There's just glory. Disgrace is removed. That's how awesome this party is. It's a great feast, going back to Luke 14. Many guests are invited. A great banquet, the greatest banquet of all. I mean, is it really that hard to believe in heaven? I know some of you are like, you know, I'm not sure if there's a heaven or all. I don't, I don't think it's that hard to believe in heaven. I don't think it takes a lot of logical steps. I, I think it's very rational, actually. I mean, have you ever enjoyed a sunset? Right? Have you ever looked at a sunset with someone else and the two of you are walking along and people just stop and go, wow. You know, is there beauty in the world or isn't there? Is beauty something that our minds make up or is beauty something that's real? I mean, this is the problem with atheism, people. <laughs> it's that, that atheists can't believe, at least based on their own philosophical presuppositions, that there actually is something called beauty, that there actually is truth, that there actually is life. An atheist has to look at that little baby who is up here in the dress and say, you know, there's nothing really good or sacred about that. That's just something in our minds that evolution has created. But really, that little baby in that dress is no different than a, you know, a, a, a pile of rocks. It's just matter in a different form. I mean, if you're really going to be a consistent atheist, but, but if you know that you can't live that way, you can't be a consistent atheist, and you say, I know there is beauty in the world. I know that music really is beautiful. I know that morality really is true. There is right and wrong. There is evil. There is good. Then there has to be a giver of those things, logically. There has to be a beautiful one from whom emanates beauty. There has to be a lawgiver who gives laws. There has to be someone whose very presence is music so that he creates music and shares it with us. And so I don't think it's so hard to imagine heaven. So now you're with him forever and ever. <laughs> That's just not hard to get there, logically. I mean, to deny heaven is to deny beauty and glory and music and everything. And so imagine spending all eternity with the God who created all those things. Like my son said yesterday, it was one of these weeks where actually I had two conversations with two of my children that they brought up this week about heaven. So I love when that happens. And I'm like studying a text and my kids come and talk to me about it. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Holy Spirit, Twilight Zone, it's weird. Um, and, and my son said, my son just said to me, it was yesterday, we were, we were downstairs in the basement cleaning up and he said, Dad, I, I know what heaven's going to be like. And I was like, you know, really? Like, tell me, because, you know, this would be helpful for tomorrow. And uh, <laughs> I, I kid you not. And, and he said to me, he said, it's like, heaven's like, like the best thing you ever, this is how my son talks, he's very excited. It's like the best thing you ever did, Dad, except a million, billion, Google times better, infinity times better. That's heaven. I'm like, right, that's it. It's the greatest thing you can imagine, a million times better, you know, forever and ever. Amen. And so that's heaven. Uh, but not only is it amazing and wonderful, but the other thing I see in this passage, we're still at verse 16, by the way, uh, <laughs> is, that, is that not only is it the most desirable place you could ever want to go to, but we are obligated to go because of who is inviting us. That's the other thing. Because God Himself who created me invites me. I really am under obligation to take this banquet. <laughs> You know, when God says, hey, could you come to my banquet? It's like, I'm, he's asking us, but he's really telling us. Because it's God, and if he says, come to the banquet, who am I to say, well, you don't know, because, you know, the pats are on, I really can't, I can't miss this game, or, you know, whatever. I mean, what am I going to say to God? He's my maker. I have to go to the banquet. Um, 
You know, I was, I was thinking, haven't you ever been to some social engagement that you really felt obliged to go to? Like, you couldn't not go. It would be wrong not to go. I had one this summer like that. Uh, some of you know Ray and Jan Pendleton. Uh, Ray Pendleton, if, if you're here from way back, he was the interim pastor in this church that I mentored under before I became the pastor of this church. And uh, Ray is like my mentor. And anyway, he had a, a 50th anniversary celebration for him and his wife, and I was invited this summer. And it's like, I couldn't not go. I had to go because Ray is my mentor. Uh, he's my Paul and I'm his Timothy. You know, he's my spiritual father. I, I still call him up and ask him things. You know, to, you know, things are going on in the church. I need advice. He gives me wisdom. And I, I still hang out with him. I mean, this guy, I would take a bullet for this guy. So when it says 50th anniversary celebration, it's like, I've got to go. How could I not go to this banquet? But, you know, this isn't Ray Pendleton inviting me. This isn't even the president inviting me to his house. This is God inviting me to the banquet. And so, not only is it the greatest imaginable joy ever, forever and ever, but it's being uh, given by the one to whom I am under the most great obligation. The most severe obligation, the most sober obligation, is to God. I owe Him everything. And so, you know... I better go to this banquet. And yet, we are so thoroughly sinful. We are so religiously and fanatically devoted to our own selfishness. We so worship sin and we so love our wickedness and we are so devoted to controlling our own lives that we have the temerity and, and the tenacity to say to God, no, I'm not coming. <laughs> you know, sin is insanity, people. Unbelief is a form of insanity. To say to God, no, to this banquet thrown by this God. But that's what we do. Look at verse 18. They all alike began to make excuses. The first one said... I just bought a field. I must go see it. Please excuse me. Another one said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. This would have been incredibly insulting in the ancient world for a great person to throw a banquet. It was a social obligation. It would have been an incredible social insult to that person to say no. Because notice, these people aren't just saying no. They're saying no at the second invitation. It's a two-invitation system. Do you see that? They've been invited. They've been told there's a banquet. What they're saying no to is when the, the slave or the servant comes the day of at the time of the banquet and says, hey, guess what? Party's on. It's today. Let's go. Everything's ready. Fatted calf has been killed. Everything's ready. Tables are set. Now it's time to come. So it's not really that they're saying no to the invitation. They're standing him up is what they're doing. They've already RSVP'd. They say, yes, we'll be there. And then they're not coming. I mean, this is so incredibly insulting. Um, again, I was kind of searching for an analogy, and this is what I thought of. You know, imagine if you um, uh, were invited to, to a wedding uh, to be the best man or maid of honor, as the case may be. And it was your best friend who's getting married, and you were the special guest, and they invited you to, to that role. And you said, yes, I can't wait to come. You flew out there. You went to the wedding rehearsal. You went to the dinner. And then the, the morning of the wedding comes, and the groom or bride calls you and says, okay. You know, when can I pick you up? Let's get ready for the wedding today. And imagine you said, I can't come. And they're like, what? Are you sick? Are you in the hospital? Are you throwing up? You know, what's wrong? He said, dude, 
you won't believe this. I came home from the rehearsal dinner last night and I drove by a Best Buy and I went in and they had an Xbox 360 and I bought it and I bought this game and dude, I've been up all night playing Xbox. I am so close to solving this game. I am so close to solving this game. I cannot come to the banquet. I'm like two levels away from solving the game. So dude, I can't come. Like, what? (laughs) You'll get your butt over here to the wedding right now. It would be so outrageous. You know, dude, after the rehearsal dinner, I was out and I met this chick. Man, she was hot. And dude, we're going out today, so I can't come to your wedding because I'm going out with this girl I met. Like, what? Of course you wouldn't do that. But isn't that how stupid these excuses are? Isn't that how stupid our excuses are to God? It's, it's that outrageous or even more. As my son would say, a Google Times more outrageous. Um, well, I just bought a field. I just bought some oxen, so I can't come to this big bash. It's like the oxen will wait. The field will still be there. But I, I think that's how we are. We get, I get caught up in things, and I spend so much of my energy worrying about the things I bought. Because once you buy things, then you have to spend energy taking care of things and keeping up things and changing the oil in things and polishing things or whatever. And, and so there's all this energy into that, and so I don't have time for God. I don't have time to seek Him because I'm too busy right now with something else. Or I'm too busy with my schedule or I have my hobby or my pastime. Or, you know, I just got married so I can't come. It's like, why couldn't you come? Just bring your wife. Come on, it's a huge feast. Plenty of food. Bring her along. It's going to be great. You guys will love it. Like, no, I just got married. All these lame excuses. And that often happens. Uh, you know, people get married and you think that's the time in their life when... You know, the cement is still wet. Now that you're married, now you should really seek the Lord and get involved in a local church and base your marriage on Christ. But oftentimes, after people get married, you know, they just check out. They're gone. And there's nothing else to do with the church. And it drives me crazy. Uh, it's like, man, not only do you feel used as a pastor, but, but, but you look back and you're just like, this is the time to build your marriage on Christ while it's still fresh. Do it now. Um, and yet, we, we turn away from the Lord at all these prime opportunities. Uh, We have such lame excuses for not coming to the banquet. They just don't make any sense. Like I said, sin is a form of insanity. And I think the question we have to ask ourselves is, is there anything in our lives that's keeping us from coming to the banquet of God? What is it that's standing between me and the Lord right now? What have I got my focus on? Because our sinful tendency is to ignore heaven in order to focus on earth. Things, relationships, schedules, whatever. I want to ignore the Creator so I can absorb more of the creation. And there's a biblical term for that. It's called idolatry. When we worship the creation instead of the Creator. And that's what these people are doing. They're, in a sense, worshiping the creation. They're putting something of higher priority than seeking God. But there's nothing more important than seeking God. There's nothing more important than knowing for certain that you have eternal life. And yet I'm so blind that I, I ignore that. So as you can imagine, this, uh, this master's mad. Verse 21, the servant came back and reported to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry. Right? It says little pointed words at the Pharisees there because they're sitting there thinking, oh, we're going to be in the banquet. We're in heaven. And, and Jesus is like, hey, you guys are rejecting me and so you're rejecting God. So how can you Pharisees think that you're in when, you're, when you reject me? Jesus is, in a sense, saying to them. So the, the Pharisees are kind of like the guests who you'd think should have been there, 
but they're not going to be there. And so it's a surprising twist in that story. And notice what the, the master of the banquet says. He ordered his servant, verse 21, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. In other words, if the elite won't come, then go out to the marginalized. Isn't that where Jesus spent his ministry for the most part? Was among the marginalized? I mean, for those of you who've been here last Sundays or through Luke, this is just a theme. It's like everywhere in Luke. That, that Christ's ministry was to the, the, the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, the sinners, the lepers, all the people on the fringes. That's where Christ spent most of his time ministering. Then verse 22. I love this verse. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. I mean, take out a pencil, people. And take your Bibles. I mean, really do it. Take out a pencil. I'll do it too. I need a pencil. Do I have a pencil? There's a pencil. And I want you to underline in your Bibles, even if it's a church Bible, underline it. (laughs) Underline that phrase. There is still room. That's what God is saying to us this morning. There's still room. There's still room. It's not filled up yet. Those are four beautiful words, aren't they? There is still room. Then the master told his servant, Go out to the roads and country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. I like how the old King James Version says it. It says, Go out to the highways and the hedges. You know, just go out to the sticks. Go way out in the country, way out where all the, the, the real people who don't even live in the city, the lepers and the homeless people live and the vagabonds. You know, go out to Wampatuck State Park and find the homeless people living in tents out there. You know, go way out to people who never heard of the master, never heard of a banquet, never been to a banquet, who don't go in the city. Go way out to the people who are living off the grid. They're unplugged. They don't even have cell service. They're just out there. They're so far gone. That's who you've got to go to. And then notice this. I love this line too. And make them come in. You know, not force, but compel them, urge them, persuade them. Whatever you have to say to these people, get them in. You have to do this. Um, there's an urgency about that. Persuade them to come in. Compel them to come in. Uh, they're not going to want to come in. As you go to them and this guy's you know, sleeping under a hedge and you're like, uh, you're invited to a banquet <laughs> and the guy's going to laugh at you. And even if he believes that there is a banquet, he's probably not going to come because he's not going to think he's worthy to come. He's going to think he's too unclean and dirty because he's been living out under a hedge. But you've got to get him to come there. You've got to say whatever you've got to say to convince him that he is invited. Make them come in. Why? Verse 22, 23, So that my house will be full. Make no mistake about it. The party is on. The party is on. It's not a question of is there going to be a party. Party's on. House is going to be full. There is not going to be one spare seat at the party. It's going to be full. God is great. God is worthy to be praised. God is so good He needs to be delighted in and savored. And so God is going to make sure that He is savored and that He is worshipped and glorified. God's purposes for glorifying Himself cannot be thwarted in the least. So that's not a question. It's not a question whether or not there's a party. The only question 
that we face is, am I at the party or not? That's it. Am I going to be at the party? Am I going to be at this banquet? And I'm just here to tell you this morning that you're invited. That's it. That's my job. I'm here to to tell you that you're invited. My master has sent me to you. He sent me way out to the hedge called Hingham. (laughs) And I'm here. Uh, You know, why do you think I'm a preacher? Why do you think I became a preacher? Do you think like when I was a little kid, I was like, you know, other kids think about being astronauts and firemen. I was like, oh, I want to be a preacher. You know, did I become a preacher? You become fabulously wealthy. Did I become a preacher because, oh, it's great, I only have to work on Sundays. You know, like, why did I... Like, why did I take this job? Um, my dad's not a preacher. I, I don't have any preachers in my lineage, as far as I know. It seemed like, why did I become a preacher? And, and the only answer I can give you when I really step back and look... I mean, there's lots of things that happen in my life, but the only ultimate reason is because this is what our Master told me to do. This is... I mean, I'm not, I'm not whining. It's just... It's a tough job because you have to stand here and speak for God. I'm not... I'm not worthy to speak for God. I'm just like you. I should be in the way back. I'm under a hedge. And, and God's like, I want you to speak for me. I want you to invite other people. And, and I wouldn't do it except for the fact, as Paul said, woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. There's, there's a burning compulsion in my heart that is God telling me to tell you to come to Christ. And so, just look at the fact that I'm here. You know, some desert rat from Las Vegas is here. My family lineage is farmers and white trash. That's where I'm from. And I'm here to tell you to come to Christ. God is real. He loves you. He's sending even me to tell you. And so come to Christ. And maybe you're thinking like, you know, Pastor, I'm the exception though. I'm, you said people in the hedges. I'm beyond the hedges. I'm so far out there. I, I have disbelieved for so long. You don't know my past. You don't know my addiction to alcohol, drugs, pornography, gambling, whatever, whatever. You don't know the people I've hurt. You don't know infidelity in my life. You don't know how I've screwed up my children. You don't know how I've screwed up my grandchildren, Pastor. Pastor, I've been to war. I've killed people in war. I've killed innocent people in war, and it, you know, just because that's the nature of war. Pastor, I've been to jail. I have a prison record. I... Uh, you know, I'm divorced, I'm broken, I'm this, I'm that. I'm so far out, I'm filthy. How could I ever come to the banquet? I'm wearing rags. How could I ever come to the banquet? How could it ever be? I, I'm, you know, I'm sure other people are invited, but it can't be me. It can't be me. But look what my Master told me to tell you, verse 23. Go out to the roads and country lanes and make them come in. And so I'm, I'm here to make you come in as, as best I can. Come in. Yeah, you do smell with your sins. You are dirty and filthy. But the blood of Jesus can cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And you say, but look what I got to wear. It's terrible. But the robes of Jesus' righteousness can cover you. Come to the banquet with what Jesus offers you. Let me make totally clear about this. Being a Christian does not mean getting your life together and coming to God. Being a Christian means giving your life over to God. Just as you are, as filthy as you are, as sinful and broken and messed up as you are, and saying, as I am, Jesus, I give it to you. Save me. I want to come. That's it. The price of admission 
is simply your sin given over to Christ. But if that won't compel you to come in, if you can't be drawn by the beauty of God's free grace, then maybe you can be scared in by verse 24. I'm going to try to use everything I can because I've been told to make you come in. So verse 24, I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Are you sure you don't want to come? Do you know the consequences for declining this man, this God, this banquet? I'm sure you've heard people say this. I've heard it a number of times. In fact, I think I've mentioned it in sermons before. Some people say, you know, I know I'm not going to heaven, I'm going to hell. But what? It's okay, because all my friends will be there, right? And we're going to party. What are you going to party with in hell? Are you going to drink sulfur? I mean, what? That's not where the party is. You know, it's like, ding dong, you open it up, fire. It's not the party. The party is in heaven. The party is with Christ. That's where the happiness is. It's not... Hell is... um, You you know, what images are used to describe hell? Heaven is described as the place of joyous celebration where every tear is wiped from your eye. Hell is described as the place where you never stop crying because you can't. There's nothing to give you any other solace. Heaven is the place where there is life. Eternal life. Death is swallowed up. Hell is the place that is so dark and awful that the Bible calls it the second death. You're alive, but you are dead forever and ever. Heaven is the place where we spend eternity in the presence of God, savoring His glory. Hell is the place where we experience the unfiltered anger of a holy God forever and ever. And so, how dare we spurn this God? How dare we turn away from this banquet? How dare we reject the cross of Jesus and His sufferings for us? And so I I just plead with you, don't turn away from Christ. Don't turn away from this banquet. And if you won't be wooed in by verse 23 in the forgiveness offered, and you won't be threatened in by verse 24, you know, I just don't know what to do. I'm just at a loss. And I'm really in a tough spot because my master told me, make them come in. I don't know what to say. I'm out of options. I guess I have one option less. I can just plead with you. I can just personally make a fool of myself and say, please come to Christ. I pray for you. I prayed for you this week. I was praying for you this morning. Some of you I'm praying for you by name. I don't know where you're at with the Lord and I'm your pastor and I've been called to bring you in and I don't know where you're at. And so I'm praying that God will speak His glory to your heart and you'll see Him. So come to Christ. Come to the banquet. As far as I can tell in Luke, this is the last time Jesus hung out with the Pharisees and gave them a chance. I think. Maybe you can correct me. Maybe a little Bible trivia there. I think it's the last time in Luke. Don't let this be the last time that God sends somebody to invite you. Come to Christ. Why not? Why not? Repent or perish. Turn or burn. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, You are such a gracious 
and merciful Savior that you came all the way out to the hedges to save us. Lord, thank you that you continue to extend your arms, that you continue to knock, that you continue to invite. And Lord Jesus, I just pray that you would give me grace, first and foremost, to come to you, Lord. Lord, help me not be distracted from the world. I'm just as prone as anyone else to get sucked into thinking this world is it. Lord, save me from this and help me to see eternal life that's already begun. Lord, I pray for anyone here who is on the fence, who is wondering whether or not to come to the banquet. Lord, if there's anyone here who thinks that they are too unworthy, too foul, too blemished, Lord, I pray that You would show them that the blood of Jesus is more powerful than all of their brokenness and that You, Jesus, would save them. And Lord, for those who just think it's no big deal, who just take it lightly, Lord, would You let, the, would you let them smell the burning sulfur? Let them smell that hell is real. Let them feel the heat from the oven so that they might know that there is a judgment as well. And Lord, would You just compel us to come in? Lord, I've done my best to make them come in. I can't do it. Ultimately, Your Holy Spirit, the same way You made me come in, Lord, which was by the Holy Spirit, I pray that Your Holy Spirit would make these come in. Lord, we love You. We look forward to the banquet. Thank You that the party is on. Lord, it's one more day closer today. Bring us there safely. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you please take the celebration hymnal? Would you turn to number 486? And you'll find the song, Come Ye Sinners Poor and Needy. We're going to join in singing this together. These words of invitation that the Lord has offered to us. Would you please stand?